0: Good morning, guys. Uh, welcome to Convo today. So we are uh, the three groups that went on Peru SST this past year with the great leaders of Doug and Maria. Um, I'm going to set the stage a little bit for you guys, talk a little bit about Peru and some of the history behind the great country. So OK. So I'm going to start real real way back uh, pre-Inca. So. In the 26th to the 20th century BC, there was uh, one of the oldest civilizations actually in the world in Corral. One of the places we actually went and were able to visit on one of our field trips. Uh, A couple of other civilizations were the Nazca, the Moki, and the Wari, all three very famous in the Peru region. And we were able to go to museums and see many of the beautiful artifacts that were left over from these civilizations. So fast forward a little bit to the Incas. Now I'm sure that most of you have heard of the Inca civilization. It was from 1436 to about 1572. They were known for their architecture and they were uh, strong military conquerors. And on our trip to Cusco that we went, each of the three groups got to spend a week in Cusco and the surrounding cities. We were able to see many of these beautiful sites and beautiful architectural uh, monuments made by this amazing civilization. So at the height of its of its, uh, of its life, it was from Ecuador, Ecuador to central Chile. And many of the things that the Inca population was able to develop can still be seen today in Peru. So in 1526, the Spanish arrived in Peru and began colonizing the Incas. There was a war between the two sides and the Spanish obviously won. And there was this period of colonization where the Spanish sort of controlled the Inca and there was some mistreatment of the population, and we learned a lot about that on our trip to Cusco. And in 1821, Peru became an independent state. So fast forward again, period of military rule during this time, and then during the 1980s, there was uh, the internal conflict, which was between the government and then uh, a militia group called Sendero Luminoso. So during this conflict, there was from both sides, both the government and this radical terrorist group, both fighting for control of the country, and during this time, a lot of the indigenous populations, the poor people in the mountains, suffered uh, severe casualties from both sides. And to this day, from this conflict, the population still feels the effects. And one of the common themes that's still being felt from this is, because many of these villages were being persecuted, many of the people started to move to Lima. And so, ongoing now in Peru, we're seeing a lot of migration to Lima and sort of a change in this culture that can be felt in all regions of Lima and the areas where these people have migrated from. So, yeah, set the stage a little bit for what we're going to talk about.
1: Okay, the geography of Peru, we have uh, it's uh, divided into three parts. There's La Costa, which is the coast, and here's a picture of that right here. And that's where we did our uh, study portion of the term. And then there is also La Sierra, which is a mountain range. And that's where is located. And some people also went there to do service in the mountain range. We have La Selva, which is an Amazon rainforest or jungle. And we also had a group of students uh, who went there to do their service. Uh, And it's also important to know that Peru is the third largest country in South America after Brazil and Argentina. Now we're gonna move to a little bit about the people in Peru.
2: Okay, I'm gonna try to make this brief. So, this is just a little map of Peru, as you can see, and and the darker places are where it's more densely populated. So, Peru has about 31 million people, or a little bit more, but about a third of them actually live in Lima, uh, which makes it pretty dense. um, Because, as Kana mentioned earlier, there's a lot of people moving to Lima in search of opportunities, um, because they think they can get a better life there. Um, Anyway, and so, also, as Connor kind of was talking a little bit about, um, there's a lot of different kinds of people in Peru. So we have the Incas that um, had a large influence, but there were also tons of different tribes. There's a lot of um, tribes in all three regions that speak tons of different languages. and uh, So we got the opportunity to get to know some of these different kinds of people. Um, one of the groups of people, does this work? Okay. Um, I can't really see that picture that well. but. We went to Chincha, which is an Afro-Peruvian place in Peru. Um, We got to go on a bunch of little trips throughout our study time, and uh, this was a really cool opportunity to get to know this population, and they tried to teach us how to drum and dance with some success, I guess, I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then we also got to see the Shipibo people, which um, are from the jungle, from La Selva, but Uh, There's a little community of them in Lima where we got to go meet them, Um, and so there's just tons of these different kinds of people and trying to preserve their um, own little culture, but as Connor also mentioned, the Quechua influence from the Inca people is still um, a really large influence, especially in Cusco, and I got the opportunity to have both of my host moms uh, grew up speaking Quechua, so they got to teach me some words. Um, it took a while to sink in, but one of the one of the phrases they taught me was how to say good night or see you tomorrow, kind of like hasta mañana. They taught me it was pakarinkama, and then they also taught me how to say how are you, I guess in an informal way, which is kashanki. and they also taught me miski means or miski means sweet. Um, there was another one, tell me munakuiki, I love you. So anyway, these are little phrases that. Uh, are shown through the Quechua influence Uh, and you can also see some of the Quechua speaking influence in the accent of Peruvian people. It kind of has that Quechua lilt to it. Um, Okay, so we're gonna switch over and talk Brad's gonna talk a little bit about food.
3: Uh, Tim, you can feel free to pull me off the stage. I could probably talk about this food for a very long time. All right, so where to begin? F- Peru uh, had some spicy but also savory cuisine. And uh, it's just some of the main dishes I'll go through, like Lomo Saltado is kind of like the main dish in Peru. Uh, there were like French fries on the dish, but also like rice and uh, I believe it was like beef. And uh, it, was a, it was a nice seasoned beef. Uh, but nothing was like overly like spicy, I didn't think. Uh, Like the ahi sauce was like kind of like this cheesy, creamy like ranch almost. And so they just like, you'll see it in the next slide, they kind of like drizzle that over top of some of the chicken. Uh, The fish ceviche, if I don't get this wrong, was like a raw fish. But they like put it in like lime juice for like almost like 14 to 16 hours. And then it just becomes like just completely delicious. And then uh, (laughs) plain and simple. And then... Pollo a la Brasa. <clears throat> this reminds me a lot of the retreat that we went on toward the end of um, toward the end of the three months. It was rotisserie chicken with French fries. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> uh, next was the Aji de Gallina, which I was talking about, which had uh, some potatoes, if I'm not wrong, and they also had just rice on the side with some chicken. And uh, yeah, they had this like creamy cheese uh, sauce that went on top and it was delicious. Causa was the first dish I had in Peru which was like this mashed potato layered of like chicken salad but they also had like you know you could have like up there it has uh, green peppers and onions with kind of like a, a mayonnaise kind of thing and the last thing don't rule it out if you ever go to Peru is cooey, which is guinea pig. Now, if it looks like that, I would say go ahead and eat it because it's like, it's like deep fried when it's like crispy. That's when it's really good. Uh, I had it when it was kind of like that pork, uh, like, like a pork, which was a little more soft and uh, different experience, but uh, <laughs> uh, we'll move on now to the next slide.
2: Okay, so we're just going to transition into a time just to tell some stories. There are a lot of stories from SST, as you probably have all heard, a lot of stories from people that have gone. So we don't have time for all of them. We're just going to cover a few categories. So I'm going to talk just a little bit about transportation and what that was like to learn how to get around, especially in Lima. Uh, Like I said earlier, about a third of Peru is in Lima. That's one city, so it's really dense. There's a lot of traffic and often looks sort of like, I don't know how to use this. <laughs> okay, um, wait, I'm gonna go to the next one, actually. Okay, okay. Looks sort of like that sometimes. That's not actually an exaggeration. <laughs> um, okay, and so before I went to Peru, that kind of freaked me out, just getting, like, I, I, I didn't believe that I'd be able to get around on my own in this sort of new world transportation I didn't understand people always talked about combis and how you have to get on and it's hard to get off sometimes and it freaked me out, but I learned how to do it, so anyone can also learn how to do it. Um, So I'm going to tell you about what my transportation was like to go to school in Lima. Um, A lot of us were spread out around the city and so it took a fair amount of us and probably for the other groups too, like two hours to get to school sometimes, Um, just because that, yeah, the traffic and we weren't even that many miles away, but traffic made it difficult. So my mom would uh, walk me down to the end of the block every morning, and I would catch a combi, either a green one or a red and white one, and I would make sure that they were going to my train stop. So there I would get off and get in the line for the train, which lasted like half an hour sometimes, and I would just wait there and... um, try not to be too bored, and then I'd get on the train, and getting on the train was kind of difficult because it was always packed, because there's only one train line, and everyone wants to use it because it helps you go faster throughout the city. And so I would have literally shove my way onto the train, and I'm a small person, but I, I did it. I got on the train, and then I would take that uh, to my stop, and I would get off, and everyone, by this time of morning, it was like getting closer to when people had to be at work, everyone would just start running like everyone was running off the train, running on the streets, running to their bus, and it made me feel like I had to run too, even though it wasn't usually late, but I would sometimes run to my bus, get on the bus, and there were a few of us that um, would meet up at this point at some, some mornings, um, and we would take the bus down a street that looked pretty similar to this. It would move inches at a time, and there were a lot of people that would get angry at how slow the transportation went, and Sometimes fights broke out on the transportation system, but we always made it, and we get to walk to school. I try to unsweat from my time on the bus because it was crowded and sweaty, and um, a few of us actually that experienced this, we had to do like a uh, presentation at the, end of the, at the end of the time, and we kind of did a parody of our experience as foreigners trying to travel through Lima. Um, okay, I shouldn't take too much more time. So we're gonna move on to the next story. Uh, Connie's gonna talk a little bit about his experience with his host families.
0: Alright, so one of the big parts of SST in going to a different country, one of the tougher things to learn sometimes is the language, as it's a new language, and some of us are fortunate enough in Peru that it's Spanish, so some of us had had some background in the language. I myself had taken a few years in high school, I'd even taken a couple classes here at Goshen, but no matter what, you're always going to show up and you're sort of feeling a little lost, like. Probably, obviously, can't speak it as well as your own language, so you're gonna have some funny moments with, in learning this. So, all SSTers understand the the moment when you're all together in your group, and the host families are showing up, and you're gonna meet these people who you're gonna live with for the next six weeks, and you're like a little nervous, not really sure what you're gonna do. So, you meet your host family. Right here is my host mother and my host father, Viviana and Dalmacio. So, first instance in meeting them, you like. You you have in your base level conversation. And so I started talking about my parents a little bit, like what do my parents do for work? And I said, mi mamá es una enfermedad. And so any of you that know Spanish, well, so, enfermedad means sick. So I basically said, my mom is really, really sick. And these people look at me and they're like, like what's wrong? Like they're trying to console me, like we're so sorry. And I didn't really understand what I had said. And what I had meant to say is, mi mamá es una enfermera. She's a nurse. So that was a nice first impression I made on them. Um, There were a couple other instances like that. One was we had some rabbits in the backyard that they were growing to, or they were raising to cook, and I kept saying consejo instead of conejo. Consejo is a suggestion, and conejo is a bunny. So that was another instance I had with that. Um, Overall, I thought learning the language was a really, really great way for me to bond with this family. And at the same time I was learning Spanish, I had a host brother, Luis, who is not pictured, who is actually a year older than myself, and we had a great time of learning, me trying to teach him English at the same time he was teaching me Spanish. And it was a really cool way of bonding and getting to meet someone from a different culture who I otherwise would never have met, and sort of conversing with them on this level of, like, we both just want to learn. So that was really cool. And one of the other things is I tried to teach him the rules of baseball, which, that was a really big adventure in itself. Yeah, so overall, a lot of some frustration with that, not being able to communicate what you want to say, and having so many thoughts, but only a small vocabulary. It's a very interesting experience that really taught me a lot about uh, other people and just the overall wanting to learn things. So just that learning back and forth was a great thing for me to bond with my host family, bond with my brother, and just an overall great experience.
4: Um, Good morning, my name is Gabby and I'm a senior environmental science major With a Spanish minor, and I was part of the spring SST group in Peru. Um, Reflecting on my time in the Selva prompts a variety of emotions and thoughts, but several words resonate more than others, and these are community, simplicity, complexity, and beauty. So it's my first week in the Selva, and I'm reminding myself to stay open and accepting of my environment and the conditions. I've accepted that I'll be living in a simple bamboo structure for the next five weeks. that will be showering outside, with my clothes on, that I'll be either filtering my water or drinking the smoke-infused beverage my host family provides. Um, And I've accepted that the boundaries between me and what I generally consider the outdoors are much less distinct and that I'll be eating, um, sorry, much less distinct. Um, And then I'm also sensing a community um, rich in, people and culture, and also that the bugs might be the most thankful for my presence in the community, and they're expressing such gratitude by a great deal of contact, and it's consistent. They never left me alone. Muchas moscas was a reoccurring phrase in the community with me um, and the surrounding residents, um, followed by mucha lluvia. Um, But I embarked to the selva preparing for mosquitoes, um, but was greeted with moscas, which are um, much smaller, but much mightier. At one point, I counted 30 bug bites on one portion of my body, which was reflective of other parts, so easily around 100 bug bites on my body. Um, But again, this reminded me to accept my environment um, and connect to my environment because the bugs um, were very much a part of the community there as well. And so my family and other people from the community laughed and said I was going to leave a big part of me, referring to my blood in San Miguel, from these bugs. Um, This was not my intention. So several encounters with bugs occurred. So I'm in the restroom brushing my teeth, one of my first nights there, um, and I see a cockroach and I'm a little startled, but that's okay because I'm trying to accept that they'll be part of my environment. And then I turn and I see a spider about the size of my hand on the wall. And this was much more startling. So I stop myself, because I'm about to scream, and then I remember they are also part of the environment, and if I scream, my family's going to hear me, and then start um, developing certain judgments that I didn't necessarily want my first week there. So I, afterwards, I went to my brother um, and asked him if these were like normal to see around, and he was like, oh yeah, like we'll take care of it. So the um, bug was then removed from the bathroom, And I realized why they would always close the doors after them because we didn't want to welcome more guests um, into the bathroom. Although in some cases the bugs were abundant and there were no boundaries. Um, So thankfully the community there was also abundant and welcomed me. Um, The people there were amazing. So walking was a regular part of my day there and I think it's a really great way to connect to an area. Um, Jan, Piel, and Hani, who were two of my neighbors in the community, um, accompanied me on most of these walks which were generally directed um, towards the top of the hill um, and they would display their strength and endurance by climbing various fruit trees that were surrounded there. Um, a lot of the people had land um, and were subsistence farmers. And um, they would also uh, accompany me on my the ledge of my bamboo hut either um, coloring or... Um, Acknowledge what I was doing, I was usually reading or reflecting, and they were sometimes surprised that I was reading in English. Um, And sometimes we would spend hours together, and other times uh, after a couple of minutes. Um, Generally, when I was in mid sentence, um, Mihani, the 10 year old, would be like, Oh, okay, yame boy, which is, I'm leaving now. Um, So I adored many aspects of life in the village, um, whether it was exploring the chakras. Um, learning more about my community, sharing meals abundant in fresh fruit, often proudly gifted by the children, um, or attempting to teach English with Tyler, um, because it allowed me to acknowledge the present moment environment more fully, let go of what I cannot control, which was evidently a lot, and honor my place as part of a greater community. So I found a quote that sort of captures my feelings about life in the Selva. I mean, it's from Paul H. Ray and Sherry Ruth Anderson. And it says, each of us is a living system within a greater living system, connected to each other in more ways than we can fathom. Thank you.
3: Aha! <laughs> All right, so my service location was in the city of Arequipa, the second largest city behind Lima. Lima, as we mentioned earlier, just under 10 million people. Arequipa, second largest country, just under 1 million people. And <clears throat> Arequipa, at first I was looking for a place on service to go kind of in the mountains. And then Doug and Maria put me in a, place, in a city surrounded by mountains. So that was pretty unique. Um, And Arequipa was, oh, such an experience. Uh, This was my service location. It was an after-school private Catholic organization for students uh, in low-income households. And so they would come to this organization after school and, uh, you know, kind of finish their homework. They would eat lunch and do things along those lines. We also just played a little bit of soccer as well. Ah, first try. Uh so here's me helping Tatiana with her math homework. If it wasn't math or English, I would just say can't help you on that one. Even even if it was like even if it was like science and it was or or like art or something and and like in Spanish the directions were like color in the lines, I'd be like not quite sure what that means, sorry. <laughs> so I could help a lot with English and math. And a few of the uh kids were uh glad that an English professor was there because um, and I'm, I don't consider myself an English professor by any means, but just someone that spoke English. It was nice for them to, uh, uh, you know, kind of help with their English, uh, what they learned from schools and stuff. And But of uh, the city, kind of had a European feel to it. It had, um, you know, statues and it had, oh, I think there was a picture back here. I must have skipped it or something, of the city. Anyway, um, yeah, the Plaza de Armas had like a nice uh, just kind of like fountain in the middle of the city, and it was a place where you could just go relax, hang out, and there was a lot of food and stuff and some great restaurants like McDonald 's and Starbucks um, there as well. Uh, but being in the city was a, a unique experience because you saw how similar Peru was to the states, but then again, you also saw how different it was and uh, the people were just so nice there and um, I couldn't really recall a, a bad time that I had in my service location of Arequipa. So as we all know, the China SSC group arrived yesterday.
5: So their arrival has led me to remember a lot of the perfect memories that I had in Peru. More specifically, the perfect memory that I'm going to be sharing with everyone today is the one where I got appendicitis. Yeah, I know, I'm a pretty fragile human being. But in life, there are going to be a lot of people who will tell you you can't do something. In my case, before heading off to Peru, my parents told me, You can't get sick abroad. Foolish and naive pre Peru Des laughed it off and said, Trust me, I won't. But little did I know, my appendix was saying, Mmm, baby boy, bet. Before my group and I went to Peru, we had a few meetings. And within those meetings, we would talk about the things that we were most excited for and the things we were most afraid of. And as I've had time to reflect, I feel very silly um, for saying that I was afraid of not being able to make friends or not having my daily Starbucks fix or not being able to have data wherever I went. And even as small as these problems may seem today, They were all extremely valid in that moment. However, it wasn't until I was laying in a hospital bed, miles and miles and miles away from home, in my service location of Arequipa, with a shooting pain in my abdomen, that I realized that what I should have been afraid of was this very exact moment. But of course, being the person that I am, I semi wasn't surprised that this was happening to me because I have a habit of being pretty extra and this time my pretty extra-ness meant having surgery abroad. When the whole fiasco started, I was in bed on a Saturday night, unwinding, watching The Real Housewives of Orange County, when I suddenly felt a small pain in my abdomen. I brushed off the pain and continued to watch wealthy women throw drinks at each other um, while my abdomen became even more inflamed. I kind of like to think that this was my appendix way of telling me that it was over the show. Fast forward a couple hours later, it was now midnight and the pain, as you may have already guessed, got worse. The more the pain progressed, the more I knew in my gut that this was probably appendicitis. So I finally picked myself up, walked to my host parents' room, and then I told them, no me siento muy Gucci. The language barrier has never really been a problem for me. However, having my body opened up was and still is a problem that I like to avoid at all costs. My host parents hailed a taxi for me, and it's now like 2 a.m. They take me to the clinic, and I'm seen immediately. Even though I was placed in a very developed area of Peru, Arequipa, I was still very scared. This was something I had not planned on happening, and if you're familiar with appendicitis, it just tends to happen randomly. One moment that I think I will always remember about that night will be laying on the hospital bed. And suddenly, and from below, I felt so small and out of control. And suddenly I found myself sobbing hysterically. Through my tears, I watched my host parents watch me sobbing and then watched the sobbing turn into hysterical laughter. For a moment, I think they thought I had gone crazy, but they soon realized that how terrible my situation was. I was in another country, miles and miles and miles away from my family, and I was going to be opened up for the very first time. And after that realization, they laughed with me. Most of us are in a point of our lives where we want to have everything planned out. We aspire to float on this magical cloud of perfection where nothing evil touches us. But that's a distant reality of what life is really like. And it's also, a, it's also such a distant reality of what SST is like. To me, SST was honestly a combination of perfect unfortunate events. But what I learned was that at some point, you just have to let go, you just have to let go um, of what you thought should happen and live in what is happening right now. This story, although it felt like it was the closing to my very epic movie, was was just like all the perfect unfortunate events. It was a story to learn from. And most importantly, I learned that part of having a perfect life means not having such perfect moments. And honestly, the imperfect moments are what made my time in Peru perfect. So to those of you who will be traveling to Peru next year, don't let my story scare you. Let it be an example of the perfect stories you will one day tell.